Welcome to Business Done Differently, the podcast about challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game in business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today, I'm pumped to welcome former stadium hawker, reality TV celebrity, New York Times bestselling author, global speaker, serial entrepreneur, and overall kind of likable guy, Dave Kirpin, to the show. Dave started as a hawker working at Fenway Park in Boston Garden and then became a marketing and content rock star. He's developed a likable brand with New York's time best-selling books, likable social media, likable business, and the art of people. Not only do we have a similar background working in sports and marketing and writing books and speaking, but we are both married at ballparks and not to each other. Dave has always been doing business done differently, and I am pumped to welcome you to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for having me, Jesse. Uh, you know, I feel like I've known you for years, and I'm super excited to share a little bit of my story and background with your listeners today. Yeah. Well, fired up. Obviously, we talked a lot over the last couple of months, and let's start with the, the signature style. And you talk a little bit about this. I am the yellow tux guy, and you started with shoes, but you were rocking the orange. Tell me where this came from. Yeah. So with our company, it's actually only nine years old. With our company, Likeable, our first company, logo was a blue thumb. You guys can't do that. It's basically Facebook's logo. So we had our designers come up with a few other options. And Orange Thumb was, it was love at first sight when I saw the Orange Thumb and we went with the logo. And then I just started thinking, you know, let me wear like orange shoes. I had a few pairs of orange shoes, but I wasn't as committed to it until I was at a venture capitalist investment conference. And I was trying to reach this guy, Silicon Valley investor, Dave McClure. I had sent him an email. So I was, I was fundraising for my second company, like a local. I sent him an email and I actually literally got an auto reply that said, I do not respond to emails. You'll have to think of a more creative way to get a hold of me. So I book a ticket at, to this conference, a thousand dollar conference, thinking, okay, I'll get a hold of him there. I'll pitch him on my business and boom. Well, little did I realize that like thousands of other people that wanted to raise money, entrepreneurs and whatnot, had the same idea. And so there's like every time he's at this conference, there's, there's probably 50 people waiting online to meet him. And I went all day, completely wasting my day and my money, never getting a hold of him. I'm literally online for the bar at the end of the day to drink my sorrows away. And all of a sudden I hear, I need to meet the man that's wearing those mother effing shoes. And I look up and there's Dave McClure. He had sought me out in a room full of people that were seeking him out. We had a great conversation. They ended up putting $500,000 into our company. And I have worn orange shoes every single day since that day. I'm up to 86 pairs, and it's become a signature statement, a thing that people know me by, a thing that people notice. It helps to generate conversations. People either love it. Some people don't dig orange, but that's fine by me because it's memorable, and that's really the key. I love it. I never shared this before, but when I was in high school, my buddies did all of our shopping at Goodwill, and we used to try to up each other with who could get the most ridiculous outfits. And nice. Dave, when I went to college, coming up from North to Wofford, more kind of conservative, and I would go out to the rest of the bars, the restaurants, the frat, and I'd be wearing Lion King shirts or Cracker Barrel vests or Burger King shirts. And they were like, what is wrong with you? But people <laughs> always would come over and say something. And I realized that it's a form of almost like peacocking. I think they call it in the um, pickup artist world. You wear something a little outrageous so people will approach you. Have you noticed that's happened considerably more? Obviously here. Yeah, totally. I mean, with COVID, obviously, I'm not doing as many like as much traveling. But pre-COVID, time I took the train into the city to go to work, I would have somebody say, wow, I love those shoes or orange is my favorite color. The interesting thing is, 
obviously you and I are super, super extroverted. Yes. I actually think wearing orange shoes or yellow tux or something that's a noticeable or peacocking, as you said, is actually a very valuable for introverts because it helps strike up conversations. It gives people an excuse to have a conversation. And a lot of people don't want to talk to a stranger. And who knows? I mean, I had a guy that noticed my orange shoes on the train, turned out to be the CEO of a pretty big optical lens company and ended up becoming a client of ours. So it literally led to money. (laughs) And more important, it leads to relationships and opportunities to connect to more people, which, you know, at the end of the day, what else is it about? I think people want to be social. If you can give them an excuse, something to talk about, it's huge. I mean, we teach all of our people at our ballpark, you know, if someone's wearing something unique or bananas, always give them, acknowledge them because people want the acknowledgement. How else? I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on signature style, but is there anything else that you teach? Because obviously not people are extroverted at us. Like no one's going to dress up like a yellow tux, like an idiot or orange shoes are easier, but how do you teach this? Yeah. I mean, I think everyone can find a signature style that's memorable. It doesn't have to be as outrageous as a yellow tux or bright orange shoes every day. But for example, I worked with a real estate agent who ended up putting a different color flower in her hair every day. Ooh. Interesting, noticeable, something that people look forward to. Oh, what's the flower going to be today, right? I worked with a very, very classy CMO of a pretty big company. She began wearing pearls every single day. So either a pearl necklace or a pearl bracelet even, or a what one pearl ring, just something that stood out as a little bit different. I mean, who else is going to wear pearls every day? I have a good friend, he's a reporter, he wears a purple tie with his suit every day. So it's not necessarily about being the most outrageous, it's about being the most just unique in your style. I love it, I love it. Signature item, have a signature item. All right, so let's go back, Dave. This is where I'm very fascinated. I remember the first time I heard you, you were on Bob Glazer's podcast, and I literally was listening to the story about Crunch and Munch, and then the wedding and everything. And I immediately called Emily, my wife said, we have to listen to this. Like our mind was blown. I was like, I got to reach out to this guy and connect them because the crunch and much story. Why is it every single stadium have someone like that? I need you to take us back to that on how you started doing that, because I would love to have everyone on our staff having their own signature style like this at a ballpark. Yeah. So I'm a huge, huge baseball fan and didn't have a ton of money to go to school college. So I got a full scholarship to Boston University, a merit scholarship, but it didn't pay for my room and board. I still needed to get a job to pay for my room and board. So I figured working at a ballpark, I mean, what's better than that for a sports fan, right? So I took a job working as a vendor, starting at Fenway Park, soon thereafter at the Boston Garden. So a three sports star, baseball, basketball, hockey. (laughs) Professional. Professional. (laughs) Exactly. Professional. And what little did I know when I first took the job, and I don't know how your ballpark works, but at most stadiums, and certainly at these two stadiums, two very important things you need to know about the vending business. First, it's commission only. So you really only get paid based on what you sell and tips, of course. But there's no sort of hourly wage for these jobs. And second, it's a seniority-based system. So you know, you get all the guys get together, you got to work for years to get the hot dogs or the beer where the real money's at. So my first day on the job, I was assigned to, obviously, literally the lowest man on the totem pole. I was assigned to Crunch and Munch, which is buttery toffee popcorn with peanuts. And quick side note, all four competitive products in this category have ridiculous names. You got Cracker Jack, Crunch and Munch, Poppycock, and Fiddle Faddle. I have no (laughs) idea why. It's the craziest thing to me that in order to have toffee and popcorn, you need a ridiculous name of the product. So, so Poppycock wasn't on bottom of the totem pole or Fitty Fat? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, right. Slightly under Poppycock. Okay. So, so, 
I sold six boxes my first day. Big day. I got paid the legal minimum they could pay me. I think it was 10 bucks or 15 bucks. And I came home thinking, you know, it's fun to be at the ballpark, but I'm trying to make a living here. So this minimum thing isn't going to work for me. So I came back the second day. Again, lowest man in the totem pole still. I hadn't hired anyone yet. So again, I got crunching much. I had no choice about what to sell. But this time I said, you know what? Let me, let me start a little shtick. Let me get noticed. And the thing is, importantly, I have absolutely no talent, okay? So I was doing a little singing, a little dancing, a little juggling boxes, but I couldn't actually sing, dance, or juggle. All I was really doing was making a fool of myself. The one thing I had was, I guess, courage to be okay with people laughing at me. And quickly, it became a bit of a thing where people like kind of dug the fact that I was goofing and every song that came on the loudspeaker, I would do a little dance to, right? So you know, move it, move it. I was juggling boxes to move it, move it. And it became a little bit of a thing. And then a reporter noticed me and said, hey, I'd love to interview you for what you're doing. Over at the Garden, the Celtics and the Bruins were both really doing badly. And so this reporter from the Boston Herald did a story on me. And the headline was like, these teams might not make the playoffs, but the Crunch Munch guy is the star of the show. <laughs> and it was great, of course, to get in the news. But the one smart thing I did in four years of working at uh, baseball stadiums, the one smart thing I did, Jesse, was that day, somebody asked me for my autograph on a box of Crunch Munch because they said they had read the article and, you know, I was famous. And I said, all right, I'll sign the box, fine. And then I said, you know what, do you mind if I borrow the Sharpie? I'll give it back to you at the end of the night. And they said, sure, no problem. And I proceeded to sign every box of Crunch and Munch that night unsolicited. And somehow, in just one night, I was able to create the perception in the building that not only did you need to buy a box of Crunch and Munch from the crazy Crunch and Munch guy, but you needed to get it autographed. Well, sales skyrocketed. Before long, I was making $1,000 a night, which, especially for a college student, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And I really kind of maxed out what you could do as a ballpark vendor. ConAgra, the makers of Crunch and Munch, they brought me a jersey. They ended up flying me out to Monday. I did a Washington game for Monday Night Football. And, you know, sales continued to do very well. I mean, I kind of maxed out with how many boxes you could sell in one night, but it was so much fun. And that's where I really fell in love with marketing, sales, promotions, PR, all that stuff, because I had been studying elementary education. I wanted to be a teacher in school, but I just realized that I had a, had a knack for this and really enjoyed doing that. What were some things you were saying as you were doing like Crunch and Munch? I mean, obviously you danced to the songs, but how yeah. did you start creating attention? You know, I appreciate the follow-up, Jesse, because it's been so long. And usually I'd like to say I've retired all that stuff. But for you, my friend, I'm going to bring it back right now. I'm feeling the energy. So here is my number one line. Crunch and Munch is delicious and nutritious. And it was just great because people just got a kick out of it, right? And then the other thing I did, people love to feel good about themselves. So here's what I started doing. Every single person that gave me, so Crunch Munch was $3. People would give me five bucks and say, keep the change. And I guess they started to realize that when they did that, because I didn't do this for everyone. When you bought a box of Crunch Munch, you gave me the tip. I would turn around, I would point to them, and I would say, you rule! <laughs> and I think people like being told that they rule, right? So it made them feel good. And then the next guy wanted to buy a box of Crunch or Munch because they wanted to feel good and they wanted to rule as well. 
I was slightly intimidated by that you rule. That was very, very intense, but I can feel it now. I'm feeling it in my well, bones. Well, there was a lot of intensity, but you do rule. You do rule, Jesse. <laughs> Who doesn't like hearing that they rule? Yeah, it's amazing. And I think like, all right, why are we spending so much time on this job that you were in college? But it's those little positions, those frontline positions that make the biggest difference. And I'm still fascinated on how to give people the courage to do that. And I don't know if you've seen other people take what you did and start making it their own. Did anyone else on this, or was it just like, oh, that's the crazy crunch and munch guy. He is wild. It's funny because I did, I was only in college, so it wasn't the entrepreneur that I am today, but I yeah. studied it a little bit at the time. There was a peanut guy in Fenway that was a pretty good at like throwing peanuts. So that was his thing. And he was good at it. He could throw peanuts from like four aisles over and hit you, you know, really well. It's not quite the extent, obviously, of the crunch and munch craziness, but there are guys, there's a guy in Baltimore, I think the lemonade guy that like shakes lemonade really hard. There's guys here and there that do it. I mean, the biggest thing, like I said, is people have a lot of fear of a lot of things, but one of the biggest fear is looking foolish, looking stupid. And I think that a lot of people thought I was a complete idiot. I mean, <laughs> Rick Pitino, the coach of the Celtics, tried to get me thrown out. You know, Bob Ryan, a reporter for the Boston Globe, wrote in the Globe that I was the worst thing to happen to Boston sports in history. <laughs> I mean, some people absolutely hated me. I was, I mean, they couldn't stand me. But you know what? Enough people liked me, and obviously that, uh, that it worked out okay. And the thing is, you don't need everyone to love you. Yes. You just need enough that you make a statement, right? Yeah. So I'm slightly surprised and slightly disappointed that more people don't sort of go for it. But I think the good news is that those of us that are willing to go for it are going to be that much more successful because so many folks are afraid. 100%. You need to be willing to be laughed at a little bit. And I think people are afraid of that. And also just the courage to say, you know what, I don't care if I get criticized. It reminds me, you start making me think of, we had a guy, his name was Ricky. His name still is Ricky. But the reality is he was with us for two seasons and he came up to me before one of the first games. He goes, hey, why don't we do the kiss cam? And I go, well, Ricky, we don't have a video board. You know, we can't show. He goes, I got an idea. And he goes and gets a name tag and he puts it on himself and it says cam. And he goes, I'm going to be the kiss cam. I go, what do you mean? Just, he goes, just announced kiss cam time. And so we announced it and we announced it. And this guy, he's got a big beard. He's a big guy. He starts going through the crowd of fans, it's time for the kiss cam. And he's literally going up to older like, grandmas and trying to get kisses. And people are like, what is wrong with this guy? But it was so, so funny because it was willing to be like laughed at. And people didn't want to kiss him. Sweaty, hairy, bigger guy, yeah. but he owned it. You said this, I'm giving you a quotable here. Fortune favors the bold. The boldest and most courageous will win. I love that. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you. You know, uh, nothing better than my own quotes uh, back to me. So, uh, no, I think it's true. And I think that, yeah, I guess it's just human nature. We don't want to be laughed at. I mean, look, it wasn't fun being laughed at. It wasn't fun being yelled at. And I appreciated, you know, the sports fan in me appreciated, for sure, some of the hardcore sports fans that were like, get out of my face. So I did. I got out of their face. And then the reality is, and you know this from Savannah Bananas, most people don't go to a game especially kids and families, for, you know, nonstop action on the quarter field. They want to be entertained. And so I was able to do that for a, a good portion of folks. And did I annoy some of the hardcore sports fans? Yes. And I got out of their way. And I was able to at least entertain some of the other folks. Oh. And to this day, people reach out. This is like 18, 19, 20 years ago at this point, Jesse. To this day, people reach out 
with pictures of their autographed box of Cruncher Munch that they still have. It's crazy. How crazy is I that? love it. Put it on eBay, man. That's a collector's item right there. I love it. All right. I want to get into the event marketing likable, but at first, I want to say, fast forward, Dave. Say two years. All right. Let's just say you own a professional sports team and you're trying to develop a better experience at your ballpark by having more kiss cams, more crunch and munch guys. How would you teach this or educate this or hire to get this? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And I can definitely say of all the interviews I've done, I've never been asked that before. <laughs> so it's exciting to think on the spot. I think I would ask questions about drive. So when I hire, think about the qualities that I'm hiring for. Yes. So I would ask questions that would get at folks hunger and drive and courage, to your point. Those are the traits that I'm looking for. Willingness to do whatever it takes, basically, to accomplish the job. As you know, I'm also a huge, huge fan of the Enneagram. You and I are both threes, and threes love to stand out. Like, literally, threes are driven to be outstanding. The word outstanding means stand out. So I think if I were looking particularly for people at a ballpark that wanted to stand out, I would test for the Enneagram and look for Enneagram threes and sevens that love excitement, adventure, and new things. And then test that out. All right, I love it. All right, we'll get to likable, but you went into event marketing and K-Buzz, right? Was that what it was? I'd love to know some of the crazy things you did because I think what you've shared, marketing is not just the conventional way of doing it. We've learned this too. So from the event marketing, you found ways to stand out. Share me a few of these stories, ideas. I'm excited. Do you know about the Atlas Solution? I don't no, think but I need do. to. Okay, you do need to. So this was the first award. So we started off as a word of mouth marketing company. And the first award, we won the WOMI Award, word of mouth marketing, for this campaign. It was 2008, I believe. The economy was in the crapper. And there were stimulus checks, I think, that were sent out. This was like a while ago now. But there was a stimulus check, I think, that was sent out by the government. I had a shopping mall as a client. And I had this idea that the shopping mall would save the economy, basically. And so the shopping mall was called Atlas Park. And we came up with the Atlas Solution. And the Atlas Solution was that shopping malls would do their own stimulus and give people money that they would use to shop back at the malls. We committed to giving away $20,000 in cash. And I found an economist that agreed that if every shopping mall in the country gave away $20,000 in cash, that would be enough money to create consumer confidence that would then stimulate the economy. So that was the PR aspect. Then we actually literally drove through the streets of New York giving away cash on the spot. That was insane. It was like such a... So in you just like pull over and say, hey, here's some cash. Literally pulled over and started throwing out cash in the streets of New York City. So every dollar bill we threw out had another little note saying, shop at Atlas Park, you could win $10,000. We gave away $10,000 in cash in the streets of New York. Dollar bills, $5 bills, $10 bills, $100 bills. I mean, it was crazy. And then we went randomly to one person that was shopping at the mall and surprised them with a $10,000 check. It was amazing. If we drove traffic to the mall, we got tons of media, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. People were like, what is this crazy Atlas solution? This will never work didn't need to work because we got the attention and we got the fact that people ended up shopping at the mall. Yeah, this is amazing. So again, you weren't playing marketing by the books. It's attention, it's word of mouth. And again, I love Seth Godin says, remarkable. The definition of remarkable is are people willing to remark about it? 
and they were talking about this. And this was before social media was going crazy too. It was just starting really. All right, so that's one good example. I remember hearing about a Burger King story too. I've heard a lot of different things. Uh, I can't take it. Burger King is really just me as a sales guy. I'll tell you that in a sec. One other client that we got early in the social media days, before you had to pay for social media ads, although, you know, you guys are killing it on TikTok as an example. We're sort of back in the current TikTok days of Facebook where it was organic and building. We had a client called Cumberland Farms. It's a convenience store in New England. They had a product called the Chill Zone, which is like 7-Eleven Slurpee. It's like a frosted beverage product that like basically teenagers loved and everyone else couldn't stand. (laughs) We created a Facebook page for the Chill Zone. We realized it took off. Like it was doing really well. Uh, We had like 20,000 fans. And we said, if you guys can get to 100,000 fans, we're going to give every single one of you a free Chill Zone. And they went crazy. I mean, a chill zone is like a, keep in mind, it's like a 79 cent product. And if we're driving them into the store for a free chill zone, they're going to buy other stuff. Yeah. It went crazy. They shared the page with all their friends. Everyone just said, you got to like chill zone. You got to like chill zone. You got to like chill zone. Well, chill zone ended up getting 400,000 likes. Wow. 400,000 fans. We gave away the free chill zones. And all you had to do was go into Cumberland Farms and use the secret password Facebook and get your free chill zone. The pictures of the crowds of people on free chill zone day, they had the best retail sales in their company history. Unbelievable. Just from a ton of kids getting motivated for this free chill zone product. So that was the story I wanted to, the other word of mouth story. And then, yeah, Brenda Fuentes was back in my Radio Disney selling days. I was a sales guy. And Brenda Fuentes was one of my prospects. She was a marketing manager for Burger King. Obviously, Burger King's a big client, so I was very excited to potentially sell Burger King on Radio Disney. Um, But, you know, like most high-level prospects, she was very, very difficult to reach. So this was actually before social media and before email even, if you can imagine that. It was many, many years ago. I won't say. And just given her name and a phone number, and I called her up, and she didn't pick up the phone. And then I called her up the second time. She didn't pick up the phone. And then I called her up the third day. She didn't pick up the phone. And I decided, you know what? I'm working for Radio Disney. I'm going to try to stand out. I'm going to try to have some fun with this. So what I started doing was every single day I would call her, but I didn't want to leave voicemails every day. Obviously, I'd be crazy. But every week, I would leave a voicemail singing to the tune of one of the hit songs on Radio Disney. So like NSYNC, Britney Spears, I would be like, oops, I called you again. You didn't pick up the phone. I guess you're not home. Oh, Brenda, Brenda. And call number 37. 37 calls and seven voicemails later, I called her up and she answered the phone. And you know what she said? She said, are you ever going to stop calling me and singing me those crazy songs? And I said, Brenda Fuentes, yes, I am. Now that you've picked up, I am. Let's talk. She became a client. $35,000 later, it paid off. So the thing is, again, obviously, there were people that thought you're a complete moron. You're going to completely scare her. She'll never talk to you again. Thinking out of the box, being just courageous, being okay with looking like an idiot, right? It worked. It worked for me in this case, at least with Brendan Francis, who, by the way, 20 years later is my LinkedIn connection still. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I'll do business. She doesn't work at Burger King anymore. She works for the Army, so I haven't figured out a way to do business with her. Well, in her role with the U.S. Army, but you know, you never know. You never know. And she'll never forget me either, you know? 
I love this so much. I thought we were going to get more into likable, but I like exactly where we're going because I think too many people are afraid to try these crazy things. And it's actually been a catalyst for almost everything. Every career, every job you've had was how can I get attention in a different way? Start with a signature style, then get unique. And then the clients, I mean, Dave, you worked with lots of clients to try to help, you know, obviously you mentioned Cumberland Farms, some other ones. How do I get their attention? Are there any other ways that you find like, this is the way to do it? Like, I get asked this question, probably you as well. How do you guys come up with ideas? How do you guys come up with ideas? And when you thought some companies, where did these ideas come from? Or what are the ones that you created this buzz for? Great question. I think when we think about it at a company level, it's about building an atmosphere where nothing's wrong. Yes. And I think too many companies just have no men. People that say, no, can't get that done. No, the client will hate that. No, that's too crazy. That's too unsafe. That's too illegal. You know, I get it. I mean, driving around the streets of New York City and giving away cash, in hindsight, now that I'm a father, I mean, I was literally probably putting my staff in harm's way. I mean, it was not safe. It was not safe. But we did it, and it worked out great. Some things, you know, I get the role of the lawyers and the accountants and the no people. I totally get it. I think, to answer your question, in order to succeed, you need enough yes men. You need a culture, and women, you need a culture where crazy ideas are not laughed at, or if they're laughed at, they're also, you know, they're responded to with yes and, and, you know, okay, well, how the heck can we actually pull that off versus no, we can't do it. And if you work in the agency, you mentioned, right? So as an agency, it's our job to do this for our clients. The reality is a lot of our clients are going to say no, 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 which is fine. As long as we're bringing them the ideas, sometimes they'll say yes. I think airing after the fact, but we work with Party City. So Party City, it's a tough time to be in the retail party planning business. <laughs> so it's, it, this hasn't been a great year. Oh. And they're into that. So we had the idea to do an entire line of FU 2020 gear and merch. And so that's going to be the big, hopefully those that are listening already saw a great uh, year's push for FU 2020 Party City gear as an example. And by the way, the F stands for forget, forget you 2020. So of course. <laughs> obviously. So yeah, I mean, I think it's about building a culture that celebrates crazy ideas and thinks yes and, and how can we pull that off versus no way that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And yeah, I think that, right, it's celebrating it too. I haven't shared with you, but the fans giving game where we decided to starve our fans for 66 minutes in honor of the 66 day journey of the pilgrims. When we had the joyous feast in the middle of the game and stopped the game, 1,500 people ran to get food at the same time, which of course we should have known was going to happen, but we weren't prepared at all. And they waited forever and it was a disaster. So we just kept throwing out rations of bread and you came up with the idea, I want candy, Dave, the last time we talked. So we started playing, I want candy. And I was just throwing candy corn, pegging them at people left and right. Nice. So we learned from it. But again, you have to be able to get over that fear. And I remember early in my time in the industry, we did a dig to China night. And Dave, I don't know if I told you this, but we said, all right, after the game, everyone gets to dig for a trip to China. And we had hundreds of people tearing up the field. I mean, tearing up the field. And then it got into like people saw a certificate. So everyone was going crazy. It was, it was vicious, very dangerous. And then finally, the woman picked it up and she realized it was just a one-way flight to China. No flight back and no accommodations. <laughs> so, so she wasn't too happy with that. So we gave her a cruise. But again, it created a story and it created fun. And you have to be over that. Are there any other stories that stand out, another attention-getting thing that you guys did? I love grabbing from other industries and pulling into the sports industry. 
Yeah, I don't know. I may be tapped out. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, this is not a story now, but the second award we won uh, for word of mouth marketing with, that I'm very proud of, we were the first online synagogue to stream services way back in 2010. Live streaming had just become a thing. And again, I mean, now it's like the only way to watch services of any religious kind. But back then, it was amazing. We did a Rosh Hashanah service that we had 160 different countries participating in on Facebook. And it was unbelievable. As a Jewish person, it was just like such an amazing thrill to do something. Now, again, it's like, what the hell? But at the time, it was so different from anything that had ever been done before. And that's what made it unique and special for everyone. I love it. All right. Dave, you ready for our first game? I didn't tell you there were going to be games, but are you ready for our first game? Yeah, let's play. Are there prizes, though? I mean, hello. Yes, yes, there'll be giant prizes. More Dolce & Banana underwear for you. Yes. All right, all right, so this game, we're going to go Truth and Dare. Which one do you want first? <laughs> right, so it's really just which first. It's not Truth or Dare. Let's do Truth first. All right, Truth. I, I need to know, we've been talking about this. Give me an epic failure you laugh at these days. <laughs> uh, I mean, Paradise Hotel was sort of an epic failure and. Uh, you second though, right? I'm sorry. I came in second, but I didn't win, and I was sort of, I was sort of like terrorized for a while as the outsider. And my very first night, all my friends, I was going on a reality television show. Yeah, this part is definitely an epic failure, and I can't laugh about it now. All my friends said, "Dave, whatever you do, okay, whatever you do, don't drink too much." <laughs> so I fly to uh, Acapulco. I'm in this beautiful fifty million dollar house. I'm surrounded by basically models. Okay, and I'm not a model. And they serve, they offer me a drink. So I take a drink. Well, my first night on the show, Jesse, I had 21 Long Island iced teas. <laughs> For those of you that don't know what a Long Island iced tea is, it's basically like poison, okay? And 21 of them is basically like suicide. It's really no joke. And so the only thing that I remember from that night is the actual scenes that I saw that are on tape, unfortunately. It was one of the most embarrassing nights of my life. And yes, I can laugh about it now. But it was an epic, epic fail. <laughs> All right. So Long Island Ice Tea, this is what you win. You win a lifetime supply of Long Island Ice Tea. That's the winning prize for that one. All right. Now to a dare, which again, I wish you had a few Long Island Ice Teas before this, but you ready for your dare? Yeah. I mean, you already brought back the Crunchamon's lines that literally haven't been heard in 15, 20 years. But what else? What's next? All right. So this is a game we have at our stadium. It's called the Sing Off. We usually have 2,000 people in one grandstand versus 2,000 people in another grandstand. When the song stops... They have to finish that song lyric. So today, the only contestant is you, my friend. Okay. Right? So when the song oh, okay, stops, song. yeah, exactly. The song stops. You have to finish that song lyric. Here we go. Like about you. That's what I like about you. That's what I like about you. I love you can do like the grunge rocker there, which is just so good. I went a little grunge. Did you know that was my walk-on song? No idea. Was it really? That's, hello, that's my walk-on song on when I speak. Obviously, what I like about you, likable. Well, I, that's why I played it because of likable. But now it's your walk-up song, so that is fantastic. Do you actually come out like singing? No, I do not. I do a little. My kids cannot stand. The daddy dance, they call it. I do a little jig. This is the only dance move I know. I guess you probably can't see it on a podcast, but I'm shaking my horrible, you know, white dad bod right now. 
for those listeners to imagine. You know, as I'm watching this, Dave, there's no question. When you come to the next Bananas game, I have a Manana uniform for you for the Dad Bod Cheerleading Squad. On the back of the butt, it says, just peel it. All right. And it is perfect for you. And you have to be a Manana for at least a few innings. Can you commit to that? I commit. Yeah. Heck yeah. I've thrown out five first pitches. I don't know if you know this, but the count is three and two. So if you were to be so kind as to invite me to throw the three, two pitch at Savannah Bananas game, I think uh, likely I would accept. I'm just saying, because I really want to throw a strike on the three, two pitch and get that strikeout. My favorite first pitch that I've thrown, we had the wedding, ballpark wedding, started the company. And we were doing word of mouth events. And what did we have? We had ballpark stadium partners. So actually a year later, people would make fun of us. You got married at a baseball game. What's next? A divorce? We're like, no, actually, we did baby's first ball game. And this is one of my proudest moments in my career. I threw out the first pitch with a baby in my hand. Epic. I don't know how often that's been done. I'm just saying. I did. And that was one of my strikes. I threw a strike with my baby, Kate. All right. I'm giving you now an official offer, all right? So we've done first pitches, but those are too boring. So we usually turn it into a dizzy bat first pitch and they throw the ball wherever. So we're not going to do that, but you have now an offer to throw out the first banana at a game. So three, two, you're at the mound and you're going to throw a banana for a strike. That's amazing. I hope it hasn't been done before though. No, we've thrown out first bananas before, but Dave, come on, Jesse. Have you ever thrown out a first banana? No, I've never thrown out a first banana. I'm just trying to think of how I can top it. Can we find an orange banana anywhere, you think? That would be cool. You know, there's something my team has shared me about uh, paint. You can paint a banana. So there's, yes, we could paint it orange. Okay, okay. well, maybe I can be the first to throw out an orange banana. I'm just saying. All right, this is completely off the tracks, which I love. All right. (laughs) I'll finish strong here. We've been talking about, obviously, the likable a little bit, but mostly the attention getting. Let's do a little bit of showdown here. Between being likable and creating attention, what are some things, let's say, a restaurant could do? You know, restaurants. Obviously, let's get out of COVID world. But what are some things? And I'll go back and forth. Maybe restaurant, hotel. Let's go back and forth. What's something you said to be likable and create attention? Yeah, it's so hard to get out of the COVID space right now with restaurants. Restaurants have really... um, One thing I just saw, so I will just be COVID for a minute here, is a restaurant in my town that had created these outdoor pods. They're like giant bubbles, basically, with each with like a little heating lamp in the middle. And it's outdoor dining all winter long. I thought that was brilliant. Why would every restaurant on the planet do that, right? So it's really about thinking about what's your problem and what's your out-of-the-box solution. We always have an opportunity to say, oh, man, I'm screwed. It's over. You know, like stuff happens to us all the time. I get that part. The fun part, the cool part, the opportunity is, okay, given all that stuff that's happening to us, how can we figure it out? And that's what that restaurant did. I I want to jam on that because think outside the box of the restaurant. So you think you've always been served at a table inside the typical restaurant. And I think for baseball teams, think outside of your field. We have five stages. Our stage is not just our field. So restaurant, think outside. How could they be served in a different way? That's one way to think, all right, you know, how are you served? How are they eating? Where are they eating? You know, ask those questions. Yeah, totally. A friend of mine had an um, Indian food restaurant that he wanted to open up. And then COVID hit. So what did he do? He started a meal delivery service and ended up delivering thousands and thousands of meals from a kitchen and didn't have to pay rent to a restaurant. I mean, how great is that? So yeah. like you said, it's about thinking outside the box. People still need to eat. Yes. So they just can't go to a restaurant. So how can you solve that? Everyone always going to have need 
to have shelter and food and entertainment and banking and all the stuff that everyone needs. How can we give it to them in a better way is the thing. I love it. Well, I think it's good. You know, you think about your product and what it is. Usually you think, all right, this is my product. This is what I sell. But how is it delivered? How is it presented? How does it get there? You know, Dave, I just had a conversation yesterday with a professional breakdancing coach, uh, not coach, a professional breakdancer. And I said, I had a crazy idea. I said, what do you think about umpiring? And he goes, what do you mean? I go, have you ever umpired before? He goes, no. I go, perfect. Are you interested in becoming an umpire? And, but everything you do is based on performing. And again, it's like thinking you have a baseball game. Why have the umpires become this thing that no one really cares about or they get upset with? And so it's thinking of that. And I, I love that. Um, anything else that you throw there before we last, we'll do a rapid fire, but anything else with attention getting for any type of business that you would say? Yeah, just think less about your product and more about people's problems. And, you know, when you're solving people's problems, the rest comes naturally. It's not about you. It's about them and solving their problems. And if you can do that in a positive way, then you're going to win. And that, I think, let's go full circle. You know, you think you're the crunching much guy. You're yelling at them. You're singing to them. You're crazy. Like, it's all about you. No, no. You're bringing joy, fun, happiness, and something nutritious to them, which is not true, by the way. Correct. Correct. So you can make that argument that it's all about me, but guess what? By the way, only 160 calories. Okay, I can't so. <laughs> still remember this. That's crazy that I still remember this. No, um, it's not nutritious. <laughs> the teams were both in last place, and fans were bored out of their minds at games. So, yes, that was the problem that I was solving. Yes. And so, yes, you can be out of the box, and you can be outstanding, you can be noticeable, and you can get attention. But none of that works if you're not solving people's problems. You still have to do both. Yes. And people don't always know the problems that you're solving. Like I always said, uh, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. You know, no one says they want a giant black thing that looks like a Pringle box listening to you in your house that plays music and tells you what you want. No one wanted that, but that's actually now a problem that's being solved. People often don't know what they want or need, but they know and you give it to them. All right, final three here. Question time. If you want better answers in business and life, you got to ask better questions. What are some of the best questions that you're asking? You have a great EO group, you have people you work with. What are some great questions you're asking these days? Best question I ask everyone I interview is, what's the biggest mistake of your life and what did you learn from it? Ah, love it. And do you have an easy answer for that? <laughs> easy? I have my answer. It's not easy. I fell in love with a married woman. That was a pretty big mistake. I learned eventually that I can't control everything and to let go of what I can't control. And then you pursued. And then she got divorced and I married and I ended up marrying her anyway in the long run. But it took years to get there. Patience. And at a stadium and the whole story where you actually... Uh... Got all these sponsors, a $100,000 wedding at a stadium, and you didn't pay anything, correct? That is correct. We did a sponsored wedding at uh, Brooklyn or Coney Island called our Field of Dreams, and Tom sponsored the flowers, Smirno sponsored the alcohol, David sponsored the bridesmaids' gowns, and it was a great day. Out of curiosity, have you thought about renewing at a stadium? We will renew at a stadium. If that's an invitation, again, we should discuss, but we will. We often go back and celebrate our anniversary at the stadium there in Brooklyn. It's a beautiful park. And people don't believe me when I say this, but when we're out in the field with Coney Island behind us and the water behind us, it was actually a really, I believe, beautiful, sort of romantic, intimate atmosphere uh, for us. Well, as someone who's proposed at a stadium in front of a sold-out crowd in this yellow tux and said yes, and someone who's got married at a stadium, I feel you, there could be a, maybe a 20-year renewal that will, you know, we're going to build this epic Airbnb treehouse at our stadium. There could be a nice romantic honeymoon suite. We'll get into that later, all right? Nice. Final two here. What does going bananas mean to you? Going bananas means just like losing it and having some fun. Perfect. What makes someone unforgettable? How they make you feel. 
you were you answered that the shortest possible way but whoever says the most in the least amount of words wins and dave you have won the show so you are winning all of the perks the golden banana which will now be orange for you you have won all the perks so big congrats my friend (laughs) and now you shut down the mic so this was good uh Seriously, my friend, I know we've only connected for two years. This is awesome, though. I have broken microphones when in speaking gigs. So now I say, whenever I do speaking gigs, I say the AV ahead of time. I just need to warn you, I can get very, very loud. So please watch the levels on the microphones. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I sing, I dance, I throw things out. It's crazy. I love it, too. Hey, anything else you want to share? Out of the listeners, this was a lot of fun. This has been so much fun, man. I keep doing business differently, and what a great pleasure to uh, chat with you. Oh, I have open office hours every single Thursday. Anyone on the planet that wants to meet with me, you can go to scheduledave.com and sign up for a chat. You have to wait a while, but it's free, and I'm happy to chat with anyone that's listening anytime. And that's why you are likable, my friend. I am excited to collaborate more, talk more, and you know, seriously, Dave, thanks for standing out and having fun. We need more of that now. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe that challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered in this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.